I want to go right into my teaching today. I'm excited about it. It's uh, on the subject of righteousness. We're on a series on Sunday mornings, foundation series. And um, before you can build walls and put up a roof, you have to have a good foundation. And the song, as we just sang, he's our firm foundation. I started out with the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's forever settled in heaven. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. So the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate or efficient. Let's go to the next verse. Uh, Equipped for every good work. I want to tell you my bias is that Ephesians 2.10 describes and defines what happens when we become a Christian. In fact, you should read all of Ephesians 2 because it gives a contrast. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive through Christ. And the contrast is what I want to talk about. And I'm starting with righteousness because that's how God started creation. And uh, he created us, if we go to Ephesians 2.10, he created us to have dominion. He created us to be fruitful. And and he made us the the, uh, crown and glory of his creation. And he, he gave us responsibility. And he also gave us free moral agency or free will and uh, put a tree in the garden that we were not to touch, but we, we ate the fruit. Had we not had that opportunity, we'd be robots. But since we had that opportunity, sadly, humanity fell. And most theology will teach on something called hamartiology, which is the doctrine of sin. But I'm going to start out with the pre-fall glory, and then I'm going to talk about what sin is, uh, does, how it separates us, how dangerous and deadly it is. And that our only hope is righteousness through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says in verse 17 that if any of us are in Christ, we become a brand new creation. One translation says, a species of being which never before existed. And all these things become new. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. We become ambassadors for Christ. This is why I'm teaching about the authority of God's word. I'm teaching on the doctrine of God, our Father, our Son, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Last week on Father's Day, we talked about we earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Recently, many people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit around here. It's been wonderful. And also he said, will he not also with us freely give us all things? So there's something marvelous about a covenant relationship with a faithful God and to know him and to walk with him and to serve him. Who has found this to be the case? And we're yet fighting the good fight of faith through life. And uh, there's, you know, we have struggles, many dangers, toils and snares. Uh, we have already come, but God's grace is sufficient. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. And that we are created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So my proposal to you as we launch in this next series on righteousness, there's nobody like you. The way God is, he is enthralled with your individuality. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he guides and leads us by his spirit. There are varieties of gifts and varieties of ministries and varieties of effects, but this same Lord who works all things and all people for his glory, for our enrichment, that his eyes run to and fro throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are his, that he may strongly support. That's so fascinated me. I want to 
understand what that means in its totality. I've wanted to know that as an individual Christian. I want to know that for my wife and my kids and my, now my grandkids. And I want to know that for my precious church. I want the bi-state area to see a breed of people rise up, thinking Christians on the cutting edge of life that are more than conquerors, that are reality-based, that are very authentic, that share Jesus effectively in a non-threatening way, that have signs, wonders, and miracles follow them. I'm believing God for the youth generation, that they'll come up in this atmosphere and be supernaturally aroused and fortified, that they, they won't uh, be succumb to the peer pressure of the world, they won't be conformed to the superficial mold that's trying to squeeze them, but they'll be transformed by the renewing of their mind. For you see, I was saved as a 16-year-old in a Jesus movement, so I'm a product of a revival. Well, we're about ready to see another manifestation of, of such a kind that maybe has never had precedence before, something we can't possibly imagine. And, uh, and, and so as it goes, I'm going to just get down to work and remind you that the Bible is God's final authority, and it's a faithful guide for life and practice and faith. I'm going to tell you about who God is, our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that, you know, prior to the Jesus coming on the scene, God spoke in many ways through the prophets and so forth, through Moses, through the law. And the Bible says the law was furnished as a tutor to lead us to Christ. God showed us his moral do's and don'ts and his absolutes to let us know what his holiness is and to let us see the standard of how uh, degrading sin is and, and to have that conviction, a hearty conviction, uh, not only about sin, but also about righteousness and that the judgment that Jesus was judged and sentenced to our death sentence on Calvary. He died. He was buried and he rose from the dead triumphant and now he is presiding over a glorious church, a church that's been washed in his blood, that is, is without spot or wrinkle, that has the power of the Holy Spirit, that has the name above every name, that has a foundation that's secure, that is rooted and grounded in love, that is going somewhere, that is doing something. Uh, we are in a moment of a global pandemic where places like this were deprived Easter, jump, uh, the variables of our productions and all the things that kind of gave us rhythm. Well, now it's just stripped down to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now it's just the essential understanding of us as individuals that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth and to understand that the church is to be God's house, a house of prayer for the nations and that signs and wonders are to follow us as we engage in this life, as we go through our lifespan. I believe that we're gonna see Drifted people return, like the prodigal story. The lost coins are going to be found. Lost sheep are going to be brought back. And the prodigal sons and daughters are going to come to the conclusion and reach a determination and come to their senses and be roused to run to the brightness of your shining and to come into the presence of the Lord. It's exciting what God's doing. And I'm very encouraged. And so I want to remind you of something that Paul the Apostle said. In Romans chapter 1, can you tell I'm excited? Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm excited too. Hallelujah. I'm excited about the word. I'm excited about this equipping message. Paul the apostle was excited. When he was going to Rome, he said, man, I long to see you. He said, uh, man, God's called me and, and I, I just want to get there. I've been praying for you. He said uh, in verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. 
and that you may be established. This, in fact, is my dream. This is my burden. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I didn't come into ministry to build a ministry. I don't care about my name kind of thing or building a ministry. I'm trying to follow what the Holy Spirit mandated for me when I was a kid. Told me to build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. Yesterday I got a text from Pastor Dritan Gashi at Jacoba Family Church. They're having their 10th anniversary on July 4th and asked for me to send them a video. A Muslim, a Muslim, predominantly Muslim nation, those were the persecuted Muslims. We went to help the persecuted Muslims in 1999. The Lord dispatched us from Chesterfield Valley to go into a former communist nation that had the, was imbibed on the socialist approach and reached people that were hurting and oppressed. Jesus is near the brokenhearted. No matter who they are, no matter what color, no matter what creed, we go out and seek and save that which is lost. My Bible says go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. So we don't spare it. We're believing God for all the nations to come to know the Lord. In Revelation, it's forecasted that people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and dialect will be gathered. People are wondering about empowerment. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. People are wondering about diversity. All around the throne is going to be people from every walk of life, every strata of society, both genders, all ages. Can I hear a hallelujah? Paul the Apostle pierced through the crazy hedonistic, relativistic, stupid Roman Empire that crumbled after only a thousand years. He longed to preach Christ to them. And he made the point in chapter 1, verse 16. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That, By the way, gospel is good news. I'm a good news preacher, and I'm unapologetic about it. I'm a new creature preacher. I'm preaching new creation truth. And no, we don't candy coat sin. I'll tell you, I hate sin. And I hate my sin the most of any sin. I don't have any room to judge. I'm just grateful the blood of Jesus canceled out my debt of sin. And I'm going to tell you the reason I'm preaching is because we are to awaken unto righteousness and stop sinning. If we keep awakening unto sin consciousness, we'll be prone to be preoccupied with sin and susceptible to its failure. So we've got to understand and have a clear handle on the clarity of what Jesus came to bring, that he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a preacher of righteousness. It's not earned by things we could do. We're not saved by any works or basis of our own activity. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God not according to works, lest any man should boast. Paul said we don't have a righteousness of our own consisting of works. Our righteousness is an imparted gift that Jesus furnishes and he provides for us and that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Young people, this is why I'm a Christian. Young people, this is why in the midst of all the cults in Southern California, all the Eastern stuff, all the drugs, sex, and rock and roll, this truth pierced through all those options. There stood singularly Jesus Christ and him crucified, the one who came to save us from our sins. That's good news. That's why I'm preaching on righteousness. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. Get this now. To everyone who believes, he desires no one to perish, but all to come to eternal life. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's inclusive. 
He broke down the dividing wall, it says in Ephesians 2, between the Jew and the non-Jew. I had a wonderful conversation with a Jewish friend yesterday, and I think about his covenant and the relationship that his people brought to the human race. I think of what Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well. Salvation comes through the Jews. That's why there's anti-Semitism in the world, because God chose a people, and they're carriers of something, and they brought us someone, and the Messiah came through their lineage, and to God be the glory for that. But now the dividing wall is broken. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave, uh, free man, barbarian, Scythian. We're all one in Christ. There's a great unifying power in Jesus. That cross and what he represents, what he did when he took the curse so we could have blessing. Man, we need to develop. Some people say, well, is church a bless me club? Is this a feel good gospel? What do you want, a feel bad gospel? What do you want, a, a, a removal of the blessing? No, he, these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. I understand the challenge. They want things to be superficial and so forth, eight miles wide and one half inch deep. God wants us to be eight miles wide and eight miles deep as well. And he, in fact, is the ocean that fills the oceans with the oceans of his love. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he says this, an important point. I want to get to you at the beginning of this. I don't think I'll be able to finish it today, but I'm going to get what I can to you. For in it, the righteous, in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In it, in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God essentially means you and I, we, can be made right with God. We that were alienated and separated have the privilege of being brought near to be able to stand before him without the sense of guilt, failure, intimidation, or condemnation. I want to just give you this definition for righteousness right now that I've grown up with. And if you're a note taker, write this down. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of the Father God without the sense of guilt or inferiority or shame. The ability to stand in the presence of the Father God without the sense of guilt or inferiority or shame. A righteous person has right standing with God. And this is important for us to know because this was forfeited in the fall of man. And this is why Paul was so thrilled to be able to go tell the non-Jews that there was hope for them. Ephesians chapter 2 said that they had no hope and they were without God in the world. I was born and raised a Gentile. I had no hope and I was without God in the world. I was a foreigner to the covenants of promise. I was lost. And, but yet Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Can I hear a hallelujah? And so when you're in Christ, you're different than you used to be. So my goal is to get you to awaken unto righteousness so that sin, you will not be sin conscious. In fact, Hebrews 10 says that the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient to cleanse us from the consciousness of sin. The Jewish framework, as powerful and profound as that covenant was and is, could only cleanse for a year. And the priests had to go in with very technical responsibilities. I've been reading through the first five books of the Bible and reading, now I'm going through Numbers. Uh, you know, I went through Leviticus and all the details and all the mandates and all the specifics, which are types and shadows of what Jesus was going to supply for us. I'm telling you, we're in a new covenant inaugurated on better promises. 
And those, all the other covenants are excellent. But we're in a situation, if we'll understand it, it'll strengthen and fortify us. Listen, I got in my spirit as your pastor. 2021 is a year of strength, of hope, of joy, and of courage. Well, it says in Proverbs, the wicked flee when no one pursues. Nervousness, worry, when you're preoccupied with sin, when you have unresolved issues in your life, it makes you susceptible to worry and to fear. But the righteous are bold as lions. I'm praying the outcome of this teaching will be exemplified in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17. Here's why I'm preaching on the doctrine of righteousness. Uh, uh, Isaiah 32, 17 is so important. The, the work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, look at this, quietness and confidence forever. Boy, the humanity needs a dose of that. Be still and know that I am God. A peace that passes understanding, guarding your hearts and your minds, bringing you through. So there's some people in here, you've been tensed up and you've been, your nerves have been frayed. You've been through some things. Some of your marriages have been stressed out. Some of you have been through some hardships. I'm telling you, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, there's an open heaven over us. He's opening a door no man can shut. He's surrounding us with favor as with a shield. The blood of Jesus cancels out our sin, and the blood of Jesus produces major confidence when we understand it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5, since we're so close to it. We just were in Romans. Therein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and the righteous shall live by faith. We live by faith. So I'm, my goal is to preach so faith will be built up in you. And I'm a righteousness preacher, so I'm going to preach what Jesus has done and who he is. And if you're looking for a license to sin, uh, you know, where, grace, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You're looking in the wrong place. We, we, he that's dead is freed from sin, and, and Jesus wants us to pursue. He is holy. He wants us to be holy. I want to tell you, though, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He's the one that redeems you. He's the one that offers his word to bring renewal to your mind. He's the one that will train us for righteousness. He's the one that when we get saved, the byproduct of the recreated human spirit, that new birth, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The kingdom of God, the Bible says in Romans 14, is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Spirit. It's not a lot of legalistic do's and don'ts anymore. Instead, it's righteousness. In righteousness, you will be established, Isaiah said. You'll be far from oppression and you will not fear. Remember, the wicked flee when no one pursues. It's just Barney Fife nervousness. The sky is falling. When is the other shoe going to drop? Constant and chronic dread. My Bible says God's not given us a spirit of foreboding or timidity or fear, but of power, love, and a sound and well-balanced mind. So my preaching is spirit to spirit, but it'll also renew your minds and save your souls. It'll also get your body and keep your body under. Some people wonder, well, if I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, why do I, am I still susceptible to occasions of sin? It's because we live in a fallen world and we are in flesh. And as long as we're in this condition, even though we're partakers of the divine nature, we still have to overcome our flesh. But I want to tell you, we're good for the task. We overcome the devil, 
We overcome the flesh. We overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And who has overcome the world but he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. There's some help coming in here today. This, this word of righteousness can bring healing to you, renew your determinations, help you to overcome sin patterns, help you to resolve to press through and press past callous and all these other hindrances. Man has a great need. Look at what it says here. Hebrews chapter 5, it says in verse 13 and 14, everyone who partakes only of milk, of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Um, we're to desire earnestly the sincere milk of the word, but we're also to press on to maturity and want the weightier matters of the law and to learn and develop and grow. That's why I'm teaching on the doctrine of the Bible, so you're secure and you trust the word of God, the canon of scripture, its preservation through time by the Holy Spirit, its authorship, it's holy, it's, a, it's God's word, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word is, the word is final authority. Then I talked about the nature of God, who he is. He's our creator. He's eternal. He, he's, he's immortal. He's invisible. He's the only wise God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And yet when Jesus was baptized, heaven was open. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. A voice came. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Father, son, and Holy Spirit. I tried to address the subject of the Trinity, the mystery of it. And, and, and the fascination of it. No, there are not three gods. It's one God, and in, in, in he's manifesting in such an amazing and brilliant way. Praise the Lord, man. I'm, I'm excited about this. And now we're looking at this right here in verse 14. Solid food is for the mature. Here's a definition of maturity. Who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, it has to do with understanding and underscoring the word of righteousness. One translation says they're not familiar with the ABCs of man's righteousness. I want to tell you how we're not made righteous. Not by works. Not by observing so many things uh, of our own efforts. We're saved by grace, which is a gift, through faith, which is a gift. Not according to works, which is human effort. Uh, not according to, to human effort. Otherwise, we'd be able to boast. Our boast is only in the Lord. The real message of a Christian is, I was so lost, and by his mercy, he saved me. When I was drowning in a pool, I was at the mercy of the teenager who pulled me out of the pool. When I was lost at sea, I was at the mercy of the boat that came up and pulled me out of the water. At some point, we can't save ourselves. Self-help has its place, uh, taking care of ourselves and so forth, that's good. But none of that can save us. We, that, we can't interchange and interpose these things. We, we need a Savior, and God sent his Son. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm so happy about it. I had a meal, my wife and I had a meal with some visitors uh, a couple years ago. And the lady let me know that her father worked for Billy Graham and wrote the four-point message that I'm about to read to you. Man, I just stopped right in the middle of my, my meal, put my fork down, and just, she was sitting right next to me. I just, your dad put this together? I've lived by this. I committed it to memory. It's helped me to be a soul winner. And here are the four points that, that, that this man put together. He spares us the luxury of complexity, this guy had to work for days and days to get the gospel down to its essential core. Here's the thing. Number one, God's plan. 
If you're writing note, a note, you could put a line, an X, and put a square around it and put four compartments. This will help you to become a soul winner. God's plan, peace and life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said it was good. Then he made, he said, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created us. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He gave a delegated authority, he gave creativity, he told Adam to name the animals, to watch over the, the garden, to take care of business, and he made him and made Adam and Eve in his image, male and female, he created them. It's not good for a man to be alone. Created a creative couple and said, go out and have a blast. Only don't eat the fruit from this particular tree. God had to set a tree in the garden so that we would not be robots pre-programmed. He gave us something called free will. Before the fall, when God created Adam and Eve, they were without flaw. They were made in his image. He breathed in, into them his own spirit, and they were in a wonderful aspect of creation. God said it was very good, and they were able to stand without guilt or fear in the presence of the Lord. Sadly, when they were tempted by the devil, in chapter 3 of Genesis, there was a fall of man. Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation, ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, in dying, you shall surely die. So spiritual death came in, and we know it wasn't physical death because that was delayed for over 930 years. Adam lived in that degraded position, banished from the garden. But yet in that garden, God promised the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of this serpent. And that was a forecast of a redeemer. That's why when John said, behold, the Lamb of God who has uh, taken away the sins of the world, before the foundations of the world, whom he foreknew, he also de did predestine to conform to the image of his son. That's what's happening today. We're getting hungry for the Bible. We're valuing it for, and to get all that we can out of it. We're studying to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen and workwomen who need not to be ashamed, handling accurately, rightly dividing the word. And boy, don't we need it. And I love what it says in Hebrews about having your, your senses trained to discern good and evil. Uh, another translation says it a little differently, having your spiritual faculties trained to discern good and evil. I, I, you know the master's voice. And those of us who've grown dull, how many of you have ever had a callus? Uh, I, I do pull-ups, so I've got a callus where my ring is, you know. And, and it's because it just constantly wears and it creates a callus. Well, life kind of wears on us and bears down on us. And, but yet God wants to constantly tenderize us. He wants to bring us back to himself. And that's what revival is. He's bringing us into re-energizing awareness of how big he is, how great he is, how holy he is, how mighty he is, how accessible he is. And that's why I'm preaching the gospel of righteousness because we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When I sin, I don't run away from God, I run to God. Whereas with Adam and Eve, the collateral damage of the fall of man was they were naked and they were ashamed. They covered themselves with leaves. They hid. And God said, who, who said you were naked? It, it, they had awakened something that was never really God's original intention, unfortunately. But yet, all along, God knew he was going to take care of business, hallelujah, and bring us into an awakening. Awaken unto righteousness. This is what happened to me when I became a Christian. The pastor did an altar call. 
So there's somebody in here that is not saved, and if they were to die right now, they'd go straight to hell. That was me. I had been to church for a month. I learned the songs. I particularly enjoyed hugging. I'm a hugger. Hugging people, singing songs. What's not to like about that? But man, I had not yet made that commitment to surrender my life to Jesus. And here's what's wonderful about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's good that I go because I'm going to send you another helper. And he is going to, when he comes, convict the world of three, concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not only did I get convicted of sin, but thank God that pastor also understood the word of righteousness had a correct balanced presentation. He didn't water down sin. He didn't, you know, it wasn't some sort of uh, candy-coated message at all, but it also wasn't overly harsh and condemning either. It was an invitation to receive forgiveness, mercy triumphs over judgment. People need the good news message of Jesus right now. People need to uh, be informed and have a clear understanding. Dr. D. James Kennedy, the Presbyterian pastor from Coral Gables, Florida, who, who spearheaded something called Evangelism Explosion back in the 70s and 80s. Beautiful, mighty man of God. He said, you got to get people lost before you can get them saved. I was talking with our banker from Cass Bank, uh, Lincoln Vermeer is his name, and we spent two hours, we hardly paid any attention to the game. We just caught up, he's a Christian, and we talked about the things of God. He told me he has a friend who's real evangelistic, and he said, in the heartland, he said, it's hard to get people uh, lost so that you can get them saved. So I understand that bias, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's what we've got to pray. And in, in who doesn't believe, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the people whose minds are blind by the God of this world. The, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So we, the believers, need to take a mature stance and come to understand, okay, I believe the Bible is God's inspired word. I accept that. I believe God the Father sent his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit was dispatched on all flesh. He destroyed the work of the devil and he came for the sick and he came for the unrighteous and he came to impart his own righteousness as a terrific swap. I'll take your sin and I'll make my righteousness available to you as a gift and if you read Ephesians chapter 2, and again, we don't have a lot of time to read it, but man, it'll explode off the page when you read it. Get, get home and read Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, the spirit of the, uh, that now works in the sons of disobedience. But now, Jesus, we were far off, but now he's brought us near. God has accepted us in the Beloved. If anyone's in Christ, he or she becomes a brand new creation, a new species of being. I'm a new creature preacher. We're complete in Christ. We're more than conquerors. It doesn't make light of sin. And again, if you're looking for a license to sin, you're looking in the wrong place because we have got to hate sin, fear God, and, and, but yet awaken unto righteousness and sin not. Sin consciousness will not cause us to overcome uh, but, but righteousness conscious, in righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression and you will not fear. The effect of righteousness shall be peace. The effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. When we stand praying, we forgive if we have anything against anyone. We're to forgive like Christ forgave us. 
Who in here is grateful he forgave you the $50 zillion debt? People are all upset about the $3 trillion budget or whatever. I'm telling you what's really upsetting is the debt of sin that must be resolved and can be, but only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on. Hallelujah. Point two, man's problem. Sin and separation. God's plan, peace and life. Man's problem, sin and separation. There's something called the Romans Road. You should Google it. It'll help you to share the gospel. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the bridge. Man's problem is sin that separates us, and there, there's only salvation through Jesus Christ. This is the message. I had a billionaire man ask me, you think there are other paths to God? I said, no. I said, I, 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 I think Jesus is the only way. He said, I regard you as a bigoted evangelical. And I, I was just, I, he asked me the question. I told him, I, you know, I, do I want to be perceived as bigoted? Do I want to be narr- perceived as narrow-minded? Heck no, none of us do. I just was quoting what Jesus said to Thomas in John 14, 7, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The exclusivity of Jesus is not something I made up. The exclusivity of Jesus is not something that I'm coming in in some sort of narrow-minded bigotry. It's what, this is the answer. You're in a burning building and there's an escape door. You want to find it and go through it and you're happy there is one. And uh, Jesus said in John 10 that everything that came before him, they're all liars. There's so much conjecture going on right now. Every wind of doctrine, you know, all this stuff, all these opinions. Yet, see, we've got to get rooted and grounded in the love of God and start to really understand and let not just form a worldview, but be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I get it that people, you know, it's a pluralistic world. It was in the time of Rome. There was a panoplia of idolatry in there. The the pluralism and the pantheism and the polytheism that was there was every bit as pervasive as it is now. The degradation of humanity was every bit as intense as as it is now. Even with the sophisticates and the the genius philosophies and the brilliant ideas and architecture and and, and so forth, it was at its core marred by the fall of man. God's purpose, God's original plan was peace and life. And in the pre-fall glory, God said several times, it is good, it is good, it is good. And after he made Adam and Eve, he said it's very good. When he made Adam, he said it's not good for the man to be alone. So then he made Eve, and so he got the ball rolling with this productivity, proliferation, creativity through husband and wife. And then, yet, we fell. Thump. Skin our knees. Humanity, and even David said we were born in iniquity. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. It's the problem. That man has since died. I hope as the man that argued with me, I hope in his last breath, Jesus was his final answer. I want to see people saved, don't you? I just heard a friend, Martin, just passed. I witnessed to him for years. I hope in his last breath, Jesus, because whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah, there's salvation in no other. 
Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I want you to be proficient in the ABCs of man's righteousness. And that's the next point. God's solution is Jesus Christ. For while we were helpless, Romans 5, 6 says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is what I experienced as a 16-year-old. Raised in a secular home, I believed in the good Lord, the man upstairs. You know, I saw nativity scenes at Christmas. I believed, you know, I have vague understanding of the cross and resurrection and on Easter. I, we'd go to churches and visit. We visited, I asked my father, probably 35 churches through my, our youth. But yet along comes the true and essential gospel from people like you. I'm a product of people like you. I'm not a product of a big crusade. And even though I was thrilled that I met the daughter of the guy that helped Billy Graham, who I just esteem so highly, I'll tell you what I esteem are people who are willing to live a quiet life, working with their own hands, praying in faith, getting a hold of the word, studying and meditating on the promises of God, praying big prayers, overcoming like, like such as things you've had to overcome. It took a lot for a lot of you to get here. Some of you have been through cancer bouts. Some of you, your hormones have gone whack. Some of you, you've had such pressure on your finances. You hear this young girl talk about getting out of debt and you feel like your debt has increased. Well, that God is your God and we're gonna we'll weep with those who weep and we'll rejoice with those who rejoice. At some point, we're either in a battle or we're coming out of a battle because it's just the nature of fighting the good fight of faith. But I'm trying to arm you and I want to tell you, the, the awake under righteousness and sin not. When you come into terms with how Jesus identified with humanity, he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. This is breathtaking. This is the hope for the denominational world. This is the hope for the liturgical world. This is a hope for the Hindu world, for the Buddhist world, for the secular world, for all the world. Jesus died and loved the world so much, God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, relies on him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Look, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. We had one of the greatest evangelists that came and preached at the end of his life in here. And he preached that message in this church. Reinhard Bonnke. When he was 22 years old in 1962, he got on a bus with what little money he had on his little furlough from his Bible school. Found a, a man named George Jeffries, who was the pioneer of the Elam Pentecostal Church in Britain. A great, thunderous, mighty uh, a revivalist. Went to his house and asked him to pray for him. He prayed for him. He, he got back on his bus. He found his way back to Germany. He talked to his dad. He said, did you hear George Jeffries just died? Died the day after Reinhardt got hands laid on him and prayed for by this mighty man passing the torch. Then he came to our church and he was preaching this message. While he was preaching this message, in comes one of the pop singers, Kenny Loggins, standing right there by our wall. Nobody knew he was here except one usher. And they, he said, are you Kenny Loggins? And he went, they just need to have their own personal time with God. There's no such thing as a celebrity in the kingdom of God. 
And if we as a church can value the down and outers and the up and outers and not be partial in any regard and love people of all ethnicities and all walks of life and without any kind of stupidity, we're going to see a greater potential to see more people come to the Lord. We'll see the house filled with his presence. Your lives are going to change because the effect of righteousness will bring settledness, will bring confidence. A wicked flee when no one pursues. I know when I've lapsed and I've not dealt with things properly and I've gotten insecure, that's exactly why the devil tries to get us in sin consciousness. He tries to tempt us, tempt, tempt, tempt. And then you, you yield to temptation. Oh, what kind of Christian are you? And he lays condemnation on you. But we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and that we love not our lives even unto death.